The relationship of these two readings reminds us of the, the character of the image of God. We hear that in uh, Genesis 9, um, that God made man in his own image, and so there's to be a regard for life. And again, this applies to our words, and that's what James reminds us of, the, the danger of our words. Now, as we reflect upon the, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, I'd like us to look together at the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, Lord's Day 40. This can be found on page 48. The sixth commandment is very straightforward. You shall not commit murder. Um, when we think about that, we think about the actual deeds of murder. And notice there's one phrase that deals with the actual deeds of murder. It says, and certainly not by actual deeds. But it surrounds this commandment and it shows us the depth of this commandment that God has given to us. Just like Jesus and on the Sermon on the Mount said... Now, murdering involves much more than just lifting our hand against our brother. So let's consider then uh, what God's word teaches as it's summarized here in Lord's Day 40. What is God's will for us in the sixth commandment? I am not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor. Not by my thoughts, my words, my look, or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I'm not to be party to this in others. Rather, I'm to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Does this commandment refer only to killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger. God tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word as we consider it this afternoon. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the summary of that word which we have here in the Heidelberg Catechism, and we have to acknowledge that it hurts. You search us, and you know us. All of our thoughts lie open to your gaze. You know our inclinations. You know our words. You know our thoughts. You know our looks and our gestures. As we hear your word this afternoon, Lord, help us to change. 
Help us to think positively about our neighbor as they bear your image. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's hard to make it through this Lord's Day. It's hard because we're convicted and we're tempted to skirt the issues. It's hard because when the Ten Commandments say you shall not kill or you shall not murder, I think murder is a better translation because it's reminding us that we are not to kill unlawfully. That's what murder is. It's the unlawful taking of a human life. The sixth commandment is addressed to what happens between humans because we bear the image of God. And how precious is the mirror that reflects God to you? Even while it is gravely and horribly distorted. Again, as we consider this law this afternoon, we're going to consider three things. We're going to consider, first of all, the mystery of life, secondly, the destruction of life, and thirdly, the protection of life. There are things that we may do and things that we must do because of this commandment. And yet we need to dig deeply and we need to listen carefully because what this is calling us to is to consider who we are before our God, but also who our neighbor is, who our brother and sister are, and who is our fellow man, even, even if they're an enemy. So let's listen and consider then what God's Word is calling us to when it calls us to guard the image of God. This is what James talks about in, in James 3, that... that uh, uh, when our lips and our hearts are set on praising God, when we bless our Lord and Father, verse 9, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, that there's something wrong, there's something distorted, and we are called to guard God's image. So let's first of all then consider the mystery of life. The mystery of life. We can think of it as the meaning of life or the mystery of life. I, I'm not quite sure how to deal with this because it's a, it's a complex question. With all of our array of scientific and medical technology and, and all the knowledge we've obtained, all the knowledge we've garnered over the, the millennia of our existence, life and what is life continues to be a mystery to man. That's one of those complex questions like what is Time. Augustine said, referring to time, if you don't ask me to define it, I know exactly what it is. But as soon as you ask me to define it, I don't have a clue about what time is. So it is with life. We all have an understanding of it. But ask me to define it, and it's really difficult. Life is a mystery that, that can't be solved. Life's mystery can't be solved by science or philosophy. And the meaning of life, being its mystery, so often eludes us. It escapes us. 
And yet, we see that this is a, a fundamental element of our existence. Sadly, I think we, we are in a situation in, in our current cultural climate where we've, we've even moved beyond this, that we don't care about the meaning of life. Listen to the, the rhetoric with regard to those who are pushing for the decriminalization of abortion. It's not a mystery about whether it's life or not anymore. That was a 1970s argument. No longer today. It's not whether it's a life in the womb or not. There's enough scientific evidence to show that it is. And more horribly now today, we're saying, or we're hearing, we're not, we shouldn't be saying, we're hearing. It doesn't matter. It's a woman's right to choose. You see, the further away we get from the Bible's teaching, the more dangerous our ideas about what life is become the more dangerous our ideas become. This isn't a debate with regard to euthanasia. What we're facing today is a devaluation of life because we've adopted the wrong measures. What are some of those measures by which we try and gauge and understand the mystery and the meaning of life? It's, it's a person's choice. It's their will which is supreme. Or when we talk about Euthanasia, the, the catchphrase is, is death with dignity. That it's, it's my right because I'm the one who holds my dignity. It's man's pride to determine what his end will be and what will be the character of his end. Or we take a functional measure of life and we say, well, what can this person do for society? Do they have a, a certain capacity to accomplish and to be a blessing within society? How dangerous these ideas are that, that my life can, can be identified or equated with the choices that I make. So if you take away my choice, you take away my life. Or my life can only be meaningful when I can maintain my dignity. Or my life and the mystery of life can only be, be meaningful when I find my perfect purpose or have some specific function. Isn't it amazing that the, the further away we get from life, the more different ideas pop up which suggest you can find meaning. We have social media today with influencers who, who have garnered employment by influencing our perspective with how we look at life. And they show us, they want to influence us with what is the good life. Or we have life coaches. What is a life coach? How horribly distorted this is. And the danger today is that we demean or we demonize those who don't share our choices, whom we don't deem worthy of dignity, or who can no longer function 
in a beneficial way. And we're called back this afternoon. Life shouldn't be determined. The meaning and the mystery of life shouldn't be determined according to man's ideas, but according to God's word. That's the beauty of a biblical faith. It looks at all of life from the perspective of God's word. What is life? Life is God's gift of a relationship with him. From the beginning of life to the end of life to everything in between, God's word determines that that life is that opportunity that we have as human beings to reflect back to him who he is, to be his image bearers. As those who have been created to show him, life begins with God. Genesis 2 verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, but he did something unique with man. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. He's a living being by the determination, not of his ideas, not of his science, but by God's word. Man is different than the animals. Man is not a more highly evolved animal. He's a living being because of God's gift. Even when fallen, and that's why we read Genesis 9 and James 3, because even when fallen, even when man distorts God's image, even when they're hostile and hurtful to God, God says, don't you see? They bear my likeness. When you attack someone's life, you attack the God who gives that life. You see how intimately connected the first four commandments are? To our view of man. If science is God, then we, we use scientists' word to understand life. If philosophy is God, then we man, use man's ideas to understand life. If function is, is God, if, if influence is God, if popularity is God, then you follow those things that make you popular and successful. And that's how you measure life. But if the Lord, the God of Scripture, is your God, then we must use His Word to define life. And that means you may not take it from anyone. You may not take it from anyone unlawfully. Unlawfully. The government still has the privilege of the sword. It has a calling from God to enforce that sword. We're not going to look at that, but I'd like to focus particularly on the destruction of life that we are going to come in contact with ourselves and what is unlawful killing. That, secondly, what is prohibited in the fifth commandment? And here again, we're taken right to the heart of the issue. I am not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor. 
But where does that come from? It comes from the root of murder. Consider, this is the root of murder. Envy. Hatred. Anger. Vindictiveness. The root of unlawful killing. The root of of relating to my neighbor in a way that curses him rather than blesses him. That attacks him rather than builds him up. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. How is envy the root of murder? Because it's a despising, it's a, it's a, a disgust with the place that God has called you to and the purpose that He has given you. And it's a looking at your neighbor and saying, if I could only be him or them in a pop culture where popular celebrities seem to be the ideal of our day, are we guilty of murder? Because we put people on the pedestal? Do we do this in the church with popular preachers and and those who are profound in their ability to teach? Do we put them on a pedestal and say they can do no wrong? Do we envy their positions? Do we think we're less? Don't you see the blessing? God has called you to a particular place with a particular purpose to live your life before Him. His life, your life, is meaningful. Not when you attain something else, but when you appreciate Him right where you are. Envy. A despising of the place God has called you to and the purpose He has given you. Hatred. Hatred. The heart-generated attack upon others who cross us. A desire to destroy simply because that person has gotten in your way. Has done something contrary to what you want. Anger. Anger. A burning rage to attack and destroy those who are different or those who are annoying to us. Reacting to someone else severely rather than fairly. To be hot-tempered, to lose the plot, to respond with anger is the root of murder. Because of what it does to the image of God in the other person. Because of how it views the image of God in the other person. The root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. A desire for revenge. Keeping long accounts of wrongs that have been done simply so that I can get back and I can bring them to the fore one day. In God's sight, all such murder 
you will never be arrested for them. You will never have legislation that can eliminate them. And yet God says, God's word says, in his eyes, the way he looks at your life and the meaning he gives to your life, this is murder. And you know every murder requires a weapon. A weapon with which we terminate life and that is used to destroy and attack the image bearers. And that arise, arises from our attitudes. It's our thoughts. It's our words. It's our looks and our gestures. Think about this. In terms of what we regard as a dismissible occurrence in road rage that we experience on our roads. The looks and the gestures. That flow from our hearts and our hands. If these are what we are guilty of, we need to go again and we need to recognize how dangerous our position is. That you cannot attack the, the image of God, the likeness of God in your fellow human being and say you love the Lord. Spring, a spring does not put forth from the same opening fresh water and salt water. It just cannot be. We're called to change. To guard God's image means we need to guard the way we think about unlawful killing. We need to guard the relationships we have with our fellow men. We need to guard our appreciation and our view of our fellow human beings. We need to recognize that they, no matter how weird, wonderful, wicked, good they are, every human being bears the image of God. And God calls you not to destroy their life, but to protect their life. He wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to him. We need to protect that image in them. We need to go out of our way to help them. We need to Lay down our lives on their behalf. But who does that? Well, Christ did exactly that, didn't He? We need to protect the image in our fellow human being. And you see, this is the love that God calls us to in His Word. From, from 1 John 3, as we, we reflect upon this, He, he calls us. If, if we love God, then, then you know how you're going to show it. You're going to show it in your relationship with your neighbor. 1 John 3 verse 15 Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We don't have this in ourselves. We receive it from Jesus Christ and we begin to show it to others. We need to love our neighbor's life because they bear 
the image of God. So the conflicts in life, how do we resolve them? How do we work through them? How do we strive to show Christ in them? It means we need to repent of our natural inclination. To use our gestures, looks, words, and thoughts to envy, hate, be angry with, and vindictive with our neighbor. And we need to love their life. To be patient. Strive for peace. Peace loving. Gentle. Merciful. And to protect them from harm as much as we can. And here's the ultimate. To do good even to your enemies. Why? Do they deserve it? Not for a moment. But when you understand the character of protecting life is protecting the image of God in their lives. Who does that? Jesus shows us what that means. He shows us what that means in in Romans 5 when we understand His work. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He looked upon His enemies and you know what He loved in us? Nothing. Nothing but the image of God and He was willing to sacrifice Himself for that. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Romans 5. What an amazing calling. Do you love God? Do you love His image bearer? Do you guard the life of your neighbor? Do you guide your heart to be friendly, Peaceful, patient, gentle, and merciful with them. And to do good even to your enemies. Do you love their life? Because they're not animals. They're God's image bearers. The sixth commandment says, beware. Beware of yourself. Flee to Christ and find and know the one who can help you to guard God's image, even in your enemies. Amen. Let's pray together.